Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to an episode full of sexy teenage rock and roll vampires. As we will be exploring that 1987 sexy teenage rock and roll vampire movie, The Lost Boys. Listen as we pay tribute to the movie that united the two Corys and gave Kiefer Sutherland a mullet. So, sleep all day, party all night, and try some noodles as we present Boys and Ghouls episode 29, all about the Lost Boys. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell. A transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever so talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! for real dinner and i was like uh two cans of vienna sausage chopped up into five scrambled eggs <laughs> like, all right let me move this whole closer yeah. towards you but this is how we begin like almost every episode mm-hmm. hey cat hey marshall do you have any horror gab to start us off with? i've been sitting on some horror gab for almost a month go have you ever been to the psychic eye i don't know what that is it's a store Okay. On Ventura in Sherman Oaks. Then, no, I've really never been there. Yeah, so it's this giant store, and it's basically, I guess I would call it an occult store. I don't think I've ever been in an occult store. Mm -hmm. So, what I have to go on is the store Dick Miller runs in The Howling, Mm -hmm. and the store that Ray runs in the beginning of Ghostbusters 2. What about the store the girls go into in the craft? So you were there to shoplift. <laughs> and buy black candles. No, it it's much brighter than all of that, and it's very red. But basically, you can buy... There's a lot of merchandise. And, and I was happy to note relatively little mm-hmm. um, kitschy merchandise. Like, I did see a Magic 8-Ball. All right. You know, so there are a few of the kinds of things that you would expect a store like this to sell so that they can make some money. At any rate, they have... You know, lots of candles. They have talking boards. So Ouija boards and other things you might use to conjure. They have, like, house cleansing kits, which are basically bowls with sage you can light on fire. Yes. And they have some used books, and they have some books on religion and the occult. And they take it very seriously. And, in fact, when you are walking in, there's kind of a wall of photos of clairvoyants and psychics who are available for readings most days of the week. And they have short bios, and then they even have one of those little, like, square barcode thingies that you can scan on your iPhone that will display a video greeting from them so you can see a little bit more about what they're about. Wow. And When you say available, do you mean, like, they're in the back room, or you can just, like, call um, them? I think 
if they're not there at the moment, they can schedule an appointment. They're available to you. There's a little bit of an annex that's kind of like mostly used books, but Mm -hmm. then there's a wall of used books. And then on the other wall is like probably six or seven rooms with curtains and Almost all of them, if not all of them, were full, curtains closed, people getting, getting readings. readings. You could hear snatches of conversation coming out. But really cool spot. Like, I'd love to take you there sometimes. So you can peek around and see what kind of stuff they have. And there's, you know, it. you just get the feeling that it's not, it's not really for the casual observer. This is a legitimate business that mm-hmm. has serious products to sell you, and they take themselves seriously, and... It's great. How seriously did you take that particular shopping adventure? Um, now, I've, I've gone places run by people whose ideology I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew it going in and I kept it to myself because I didn't show up to just be like, you sure. know, you're wrong. What, I disagree. What kind of place did you go? The people that run the dinosaurs from, uh, oh, are from, they, from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They're super Christian, huh? They're super um, creationist. Yes. Yeah. Got and, it. And like half the displays are like monkeys riding dinosaurs yeah. on a saddle. And, but I mean, before I drove the like, what is it, like like three hours out there? Yeah. I knew that going into it. And I right. told my sister, I was like, okay, this is what these guys are like now. By the way, they're not the ones who built the dinosaurs. No, no, they bought it, right? They, they, they bought, bought the it, land and the. And then reworked the museum and gift shop to fit their ideology. Which I kind of just love because it makes it kitschier like i'm just kind of i almost just have a greater affection for the fact because it's more anomalous to me it's more like silly and i'm sure that obviously they don't think it's silly but no they they don't and actually i did have quite a bit of fun going like oh my gosh yeah yeah but i wouldn't go up to the guy behind the counter and just be like of course not hey your beliefs are hilarious (laughs) four postcards please well the the psychic eye i want to clarify that like I say occult just because they, like I said, they had talking boards and they actually sell these really beautiful little crystal balls and, you know, thing. but it's not, it's not, I don't want to paint it as like, it's a dark arts kind of thing. Well, I what think do they it's call just, themselves? I think it's just called the Psychic Eye Bookstore. And you are bringing it up during our spooky gab. I am. But just because a lot of people attach a lot of dark meaning to some of the things that are in there, despite mm-hmm. the fact that... I mean, in my opinion, objects like that, I think, can hold power if you believe in them. Meaning, I think there's a lot to be said for the power of suggestion. And I'm very much a molder. I want to believe as far as supernatural things go. And, you know, but I don't know. But but it's definitely a, not a dark feeling place. But if it had been, I would have just pretended like I belonged. And I wouldn't have insulted anyone who could put a hex on me. working in a video store on Halloween day and I was actually dressed when I could it wasn't easy to work in a scream outfit but I tried uh, that's that's one of my favorite things yeah 
and two young girls came in. They were probably 12 at the time, probably your age now. And I don't know, how old were you in like 98? I was 14. All right, yeah. Oh, your age now. And they said, we want to write something scary. And I said, all right. And I said, you want scary, scary, or you want clever, hip, scary? Because that was the tagline for Scream. Uh-huh. Clever, hip, scary. Uh-huh. And they said, clever, hip, scary. And I said, well, I've got a movie here called The Lost Boys. Oh. And they said, who's in it? I said, the Corys. They said, who's that? Well, I said, one of them was a Goonie. At this point, they stopped talking to me and just started talking to each other going, what is he talking oh about? Oh my God. The generation Did you gap, get them to leave with the movie? Yeah, least? but I had to curse at them. Oh, thank God. You I, just said, take the damn movie. I did. Take it home. So, I bet you they loved it. Let's hope. It's and, although, kryptonite for a tw- teen tween girl or a it, teen tween. It repels tween- you? I don't think you're using kryptonite it's, correctly. No, it's your weakness. Like, it, you can't resist it. Is that... Nope, that's not right. Well, it is his weakness, but it doesn't draw him into it. You're thinking of catnip. Sure. <laughs> it's catnip for tween girls or tween boys. Yeah, but they had to be convinced, and I don't think we had the cover. So I was just like... Yeah, that cover might have done it. All those cute boys. It was like, you you gals, trust me. Get the Lost Boys. And I was like, just rent the damn movie. Right. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Stay back! Stay back! I'm your brother, Sammy! Help me! What's happening when you start? My own brother, a blood-sucking vampire. You better give yourself a Carly t-shirt, buddy. Will you wait till mom find out? Has anyone gone crazy here? The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Oh, man. That's what we're covering in this episode of Boys and Ghouls. The teenage vampire movie. You might also say, like, the rock and roll teenage vampire movie. Sure. Which, it, it didn't invent the teenage vampire genre. It wasn't the first to do teenage vampires. There weren't many before it, though. And I don't think it was necessarily the first to have some kind of a rock and roll vampire. That's like 87. There's a lot of vampire movies to lead up to it. Well, they're not as rock and roll vampire as the driller killer is a rock and roll driller killer in Slumber Party Massacre 2. Like, they don't, like, play music. They just look like punk rockers, kind of. And hair metal. And hair metal. They look it, but they don't play music. Not that there's not a lot of great music in the movie, because there is. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't invent it, but they perfected it. They really did. They really did. And I want to give a lot of credit, though, where it's due, which is to Joel Schumacher, because... Joel he's Schumacher was a director. The one, yes, he directed the film, and he's the one who insisted they be teenagers because yeah, it was supposed to be a bunch of kids. Death by stereo. Let's go all the way back in the uh, the creation of it, and that uh, when it was in development, it was going to be like Goonies with vampires because mm-hmm. I think Goonies was a hit by then. Richard Donner was originally supposed to direct. Who directed the Goonies? Yeah. First, you gotta do the truffle shuffle. Come on, do it. And they wanted it to be even younger than the, the medium age of the Goonies, which would have been like 12. They wanted them to be like eight, nine years old. Bed for the 
undead? It was Joel Schumacher who decided to make them teenagers. He decided to make them cool. And sexy. I think he decided to set it in like a, a beach town, even. I didn't realize this. I thought Santa Carla was just a fun choice of like, we'll just make up a slightly different name. But they really wanted to call it Santa Cruz and have it be Santa Cruz. But Santa Cruz, like the city, was like, no, we I don't like want to be associated with. I do, too. I'm, I'm very thankful that it is what it is. I, I like but... the idea that out there somewhere would be its own place. Yeah. That is the murder capital of the world. Yes. <laughs> you know where Hudson's Bluff is overlooking the point? can't beat your bike. You don't have to beat me, Michael. You just have to try and keep up. Marshall? Mm. Marshall, Mr. Hicks. Yes. I can't imagine anyone listening to this hasn't seen The Lost Boys, but just in case. Just in case. Do you want to give them a little overview of what this movie is about sure. and what happens in it. Well, we've already said sexy vampires. Yeah. But how? And where? <laughs> and how? Where is a beach town that's got sort of equal parts surf punks and runaways? Northern California. Yeah. And it's got a boardwalk with an amusement park on it, which not a ton happens at the amusement park. There's some scenes there. Yeah, but I mean, no one actually goes on any rides. No, none of our stars do. Except no. in the very beginning... It starts on a merry-go-round, and I guess I'm not really synopsizing. I'm not really synopsizing here, but so much is taking it from the very beginning. Right. It is on an already moving merry-go-round that we meet the gang of five, four, four teenage. We will learn to be vampires, and they are just sort of strutting through a moving merry-go-round. And I know it looks good and it really works on film, but let's just think about that again. At some point, they had to say. Hey, guys, let's walk on the boardwalk. Okay, well, let's walk over towards the rides. Okay, let's get on this merry-go-round. To ride it? Nah, just to, you know, strut. One has to imagine <laughs> strut that... through the merry-go-round. You know, maybe there wasn't enough of a barrier, but I would have also imagined they had to pay admission to they get on to it. get a ticket Do you each. know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. It's very funny to think so, about. Somewhere in, in the, you the know... logic. 20th viewing... Uh, you have to say, what are they doing on the merry-go-round? But it totally works as an introduction, as sort of like one at a time. They just sort of oh, appear from does. around the corner. I was too busy all these years drooling over each of them, respectively, yeah. to notice how silly. And while they've all got names, there's long hair blonde, long hair black hair. Uh-huh. Curly hair. Curly hair blonde, who was Alex Winter that would go on to be in Bill Bill and Ted. S. Preston Esquire. And then Kiefer, blonde mullet Sutherland. <laughs> Uh-huh. Right. 18 years old, all of them, except for Alex Winter, who had not crested the 18-year mark yet. He was 17. But Kiefer Sutherland and Billy Worth. Billy Worth was a dark-haired one. Yeah. And Brooke McCarter. All right. Well, now that we've walked you through the first 10 seconds of the film, <laughs> let me speed things up. Yeah. They don't actually show vampire teeth and vampire. They don't actually show them being vampires until an hour into the movie. Yeah. But if you've seen the poster or even one ad or anything... You know you're looking at some vampires. You know you're looking at some vampires. There's a lot of point of view flying through the air stuff. There's a lot of missing posters around the town. When a family moves to town, being the recently divorced mom, Diane Wiest, and her two kids, Corey Feldman and Jason Patrick. Corey Haim and Jason Patrick. 
that may not be the, the last time that happens. <laughs> I'll correct you. Don't worry. Corey Haim and Jason Patrick and their dog, Nanook, Aww. are coming into Santa Carla. There's a billboard that looks really nice. It says, welcome to Santa Carla. But on the back, it says, murder capital of the world. <sighs> but this family's moved because a Diane divorce. Weist's character has gotten divorced and she can't afford to support her kids all on her own. And she doesn't want to go through a crazy battle with her ex-husband. So they move in with her dad, grandpa, yep. played by Barnard Hughes. I, I hear people say Barnard. I think it's Barnard. Barnard Hughes. And he, he's a, a delightfully eccentric old man. He is. Who, uh, he's kind of a weary of the town. But only as an old coot would be. So Right. Yeah. Seems normal, kind of. From there, a couple things happen. Mostly being Jason Patrick as the older brother, who I know he was supposed to play 17. He actually was 18. I can't buy either of them. He looks like he's 25. He does. When she's like, school's going to start in a couple weeks. I'm yeah. like... His doctorate program? Right. Oh, what is like, this guy? He, he can clearly rent a car. Yeah. He's not, in, he's not in high school. But he starts first through what else? A girl. Mm-hmm. He sees a girl, but the girl is sort of hanging out with these cooler-than-you teenagers with cooler-than-yours motorcycles. And after a little bit of a pissing contest, they wind up hanging out all together. But it turns out they're vampires. Yep. And because he uh, drank some not-wine... He's turning into a vampire also. But he's only a halfsy. He's only half vampire, and then it's up to his younger brother with the help of two great characters, the Frog Brothers, mm-hmm. who are totally crazy. C- civilian militants yeah. of a sort. They're really crazy, but the reason they're crazy is they believe there's vampires, which and makes they're them... they're 100% right. Yeah, which makes them totally right. Yep. And from there it goes, oh, that's... They have to defeat the vampires. That's uh, yeah. my really long, short summary yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Schumacher, who, by the way, I mean, if you're a fan of The Lost Boys and you're listening, you've probably watched special features for the film. But if you haven't, who, who can say? Joel Schumacher's commentary is really great. He's really fun to listen to talk about it. He's very gracious about the opportunity that he had. You know, he talks about, as with a lot of movies, and a lot of movies we've talked about on this podcast before. A lot of people know that one of the reasons why you don't see the shark very much in Jaws is oh, because they didn't have a lot of it money. wasn't worth Right. So with this, you mentioned a lot of the overhead flying shots yeah. of the vampires. You don't see them flying because they didn't have the money to like green screen a bunch of flying, so they just use the camera, right? Which I think mm-hmm. is great and really effective because you see them flying and descending upon people to kill them. Or even when um, Jamie Gertz, who plays Star, uh-huh. who is the hippie-ish... Gypsy, I'd uh, say. Gypsy-like, just based on that skirt. Girl of the Lost Boys, when she flies up into a window, you just hear like a rush of wind and all of a sudden and she's standing. And kind of standing. bat screeching type noises. Yeah, there's like bat noise when they fly. Which I love. And that's totally effective. And what more do you need, right? Mm-hmm. But I love that there was a little bit of that going on as far as just that, that kind of having just, to make do. Yeah, when horror movies come out of a major studio, sometimes they can lose the heart that comes with something that doesn't have enough money. Yeah. The ingenuity that comes with something that doesn't have enough money. It sounds like the Lost Boys had just enough money yeah. to make a good product, but not so much that they got lazy. Mm-hmm. But movies cost millions of dollars to make. That's after gross net deduction profit percentage deferment 10% of the nut cash. Every movie costs $2,184. Joel Schumacher talks about 
how vampires are the only sexy monsters. Yeah. Which I think is a really funny and true thing. Because, like, you know, werewolves, they can be sexy in their human form, but then they turn into hairy, smelly dogs. A Frankenstein monster, it's like, ugh, how's that going to work? He would have an enormous Schwanstucker. But sure. vampires, there are the obvious metaphors of like fluid exchange yeah. and penetration and things like that, where it's just it's inherently very sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. Oh, okay. Well, honka honka. <laughs> uh, shining that light onto the Lost Boys specifically, yeah, there had been sexual as far back as you know Bela Lugosi, but it was no longer the dapper man in the suit. Yes. It was no longer the man in the cape who lives in Carfax Abbey. I just bought the estate next to yours. Maybe I'll swing by sometime. (laughs) Ladies love a guy in a suit, but they also love a bad boy. Yeah, we do. Let's see, what was Kiefer Sutherland wearing? It's basically like a black duster? Yeah. Or trench coat. Really long, flowing, lots of jewelry, all of them, that jangled when they walked. There was a lot of jangling. Yeah. Some of that was just like chains that would go from Yeah, some of it maybe wasn't jewelry. Their shoulder to another part of their shoulder. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know if he was wearing leather pants, maybe. Maybe. I mean, a lot else was just I'd like like to get in there and find out. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And just boots. And then, like, Alex Winter was, like, wearing the half shirt. Yeah. Yeah, he was. You will come under my spell. You will be my slave of love. My gosh, Bella. How do you do that? You must be double-jointed. And you must be young alien. They might be. Sexy vampires. Yeah. But they don't go in for the close quarters bite on the neck. They don't slip in through gauzy curtains. Right. And I'm sure there's pages and pages in Twilight that's all just the sensuality of of it all. I love you. And I can give you eternal life. I knew it an insurance salesman. I've already got Prudential. These guys, they rip off a car roof and drag you away. Or they're when, popping into your skinhead, bald head like it's a grape. Like it's a grape. They're cracking the guy's neck. They don't seem to be... Ripping di- open. There's that one gory shot where... The and neck it go- rips open. The, the head lolls back and... Like yeah. there's an awful sound and you see there's the gored out neck and it's very brief, but it's just enough for you yeah. to be like, what? Whoa. They're leaving a lot of blood still left behind, by yeah. the way. They're, they're just running in. They are messy eaters. Killing. It seems the blood is actually secondary. To just running down there and killing some dudes. Yeah. 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 It's so pretty gruesome. They're not sexy in everything they do. Yeah. There is a creature of the night whose very name strikes terror in the hearts of man. He fears only mirrors, the scent of garlic, and the sight of a crucifix. He feeds upon human blood. Only sunlight or a stake driven through his heart can destroy him or those whose blood he drinks. These guys may not be, like, in a castle. They're not older gentlemen, uh, which was the the pretty standard vampire previous to that. Yes. But even though they are a different age range and a different aesthetic, they do follow most of the preset vampire rules. Yes, uh, Sent down from books and movies previous to that. And they may have been redefining the vampire as far as what they wear and what music gets played. But they weren't redefining it as far as what they can do. Right. 
when I saw it, I had probably seen Fright Night the year before. Mm-hmm. And Fright Night has Evil Eddie clearly dictating what vampires can and can't do. They can, don't cast reflections. Look at reflection in the mirror. They never say if crosses do or don't work because they never really try them. No. But holy water does work. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, Paul, the blonde, yeah. when he's like, garlic don't work, boys, they're holding up a cross to him and he just kind of bats it away. So I'm guessing True. crosses don't. At least it might that give him a little annoyance. But I'll say this. Because I was approaching it with the Fright Night rules, Yeah. I knew from Fright Night that you had to have total faith in the cross. Sure. Which they probably didn't have. Well, Count, what do you say to that? They would say leave Cindy alone and find yourself a nice Jewish girl, doctor. That's the other one, isn't it? What else? Oh, the sunlight. Right. Which these guys uh, will just catch on fire Sizzle. if they go out during the day. yeah. So they took on the non-traditional look, but kept the traditional vampire rules. The second way to kill a vampire, count three silver bullets through the heart. Which I think is pretty important. No, Rosenberg. That is a fair wolf. Really? Are you sure? I saw this movie when I wasn't too much younger than the, the youngest characters in the film, which would be the Frog Brothers, who at the time I kind of took seriously. I took them as seriously as... They took themselves. I love that you're pointing out how seriously they take themselves and the fact that when you saw it oh, yeah. first and when I They're saw the it first... They're the heroes of the movie. It's not that I didn't pick up on any of the humor. Of course I did. Mm-hmm. But I also took them very seriously. And the actors did too because Joel Schumacher told them, like, you're yeah. militants. Like, it's... you are... They they were not aware. They weren't playing any comedy except where it was completely obvious. Yeah. But as far as their mission and purpose and all of that, no, they were, those actors they're, they're were playing two tiny important snake roles. bliskins is what they were of uh, Escape from New York. Ah. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. But then I got a little older and I got to identify a little more with the actual older teenagers. And I did wear a leather jacket like twice. It was my dad's and I couldn't make it work. Oh boy. And I guess here I can tell you when I decided I wanted to write screenplays, I didn't know where to turn. Sure. I literally, I went to the library and I wrote screenwriter into the computer, which was like gen one on the computer. Like they still had card catalogs, but they just hadn't carted them off yet. Mm-hmm. And so I just wrote, screenwriter, enter. There are zero entries. Oh. Now, if I had written screenplay or screenplay writing, or screenwriting uh-huh. instead of screenwriter, right. something might have come up. Because it turns out my local library had like five screenwriting books. And then more books that were just um, like screenplays that I didn't know were, were out there just yet. I just went to the library, I wrote in screenwriter, and it said zero. And I said... Well, looks like I got to learn on the streets. I got to teach myself. So there was a guy who came to the mall a couple times a year and he sold movie posters. Did he also sell screenplays? He also sold screenplays. I feel like I heard you tell me about this. Probably. And you were like, you know, guys who like would hang out at the mall and sell screenplays. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That guy was not ever a part of my life. With the baseball card and sports memorabilia show. But his table was all like movie stuff oh, and fun. 20 bucks a piece. You could buy screenplays. Wow. And I knew he had the Lost Boys screenplay. So I knew when he was coming next and I would count down the days. And then I bought the Lost Boys screenplay. I bought a screenplay 
and I taught myself how to write screenplays as far as like all the language of it and where the margin should go and the indentation and and I would read it and I'd watch The Lost Boys and from that learn how to I took a ruler and would like measure the indentations of The Lost Boys script to see um this is adorable yeah no it's great I mean I, I love it so The Lost Boys just was a template for me for the real bones of screenplay writing and then I just enjoyed it Kind of in a, in a retro sort of like, look at their clothes, look at their hair. <gasps> Vintage. So adorable. So now, watching it again, and I haven't watched it for a couple of years, watching it for this podcast. Uh, here's a revelation. I'm the same age Diane Weist was when she made this movie. What? By the way, 38. That's uh, nuts. However, so now I'm identifying more than ever... With the adult characters in this, which is Lucy by Diane Weiss, the, the single mom, and Max, Max. who uh, Max is played by Edward Herman. Oh, he's just brilliant. Who got a turn at playing Herman Munster once for a made-for-TV movie in 95. Are you from Connecticut? Part of me might be. <laughs> you can see him here and there he's done some Woody Allen movies he's in the Gilmore Girls quite a bit but he's played FDR like three times and he plays Max who okay spoiler alert everybody turn back now he's the head vampire turns out at the end they uh, there's a great dinner table scene which I guess you know I used to really appreciate the the sexier scenes of the movie sure Naturally. Um, from the actual sex scene, which takes place in, I, I think I wrote down, um, stars. It's not really her bed. It's her gauzy pillow nest. <laughs> where she yes. seems to sleep. That's accurate. That's exactly With right. gauzy curtains. Yes. Um, on down to just various, you know, boardwalk shots. And, right. Uh, tough guy leather jacket shots and things like that. Yeah. Now, I was really appreciating the levels that the dinner table scene was working on when they try to suss out that Max is the head vampire, which works as both trying to find a vampire and as the Corey Haim character acting out as his mom begins to date again. Right. Which is, you're saying it's fun to watch the adults deal with that aspect of it. Yeah, and just to have the larger understanding of of how... Because when I was watching it the first time, as a kid, it was all, let's find the vampire. And now I can see the like the family structure being played out. Yeah, it's I've really seen... artfully done. It's really fun. It's not cheese. It's it's garlic. <coughs> but you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. <laughs> it's raw garlic. Anyways, here's my favorite part about Max. Oh, please. Uh, first of all, as a reader of the original screenplay, here's one of the, the differences, and there there wasn't many. There's a tag at the end. Which is afterwards they go through the Lost Boys sort of cave hotel, mm-hmm. which was it was a hotel, but it fell during the. Does that even is that even possible that a hotel can fall into a mountain if an earthquake it hits makes it just right? Movie sense, but it seemed like good science at the time. Yeah. So yeah, so it it's just basically was swallowed by the fault line, and now it's semi-preserved. And it's it's kind, kind of like a hotel on its side. Bull honky, but it works. Yeah, for, where the Lost yeah. Boys hang out and sleep during the day. Yeah. A camera tracks along, camera tracks along, and it comes upon like a mural from like 1919. Yeah. Depicting Santa Carla, 1919, 
and there wearing like a, a straw hat of the day is Max. Like just like smiling, standing in the sun. Cool. It is, it is really cool, but at the same time, it didn't tell us anything we didn't really already know. Right. It so just, you can see why they might cut that. You're like, I bet he's really old, but you didn't know if he was like old from like days of yore or old, like twenty years. Right. Ago, he became a vampire. Sure. Uh, I wonder if so, they filmed that or if it just got cut before they filmed. Hard, hard to say. Uh, I tell you what, it didn't make the deleted features of either of our DVDs. Yeah. So. But, okay, all this, really, all this that I've been spouting is leading to my favorite thing about Max, which I needed some time to pick up on, which is he dresses too young and too for the time. He doesn't dress, let's say he's 40 years old. Okay. Right? Or he was 40 years old when he got bitten and joined the Immortals, and now he's perpetually 40. As he goes through the years, he keeps up with modern fashions. Okay. But as a 40-year-old in 1986, he's not dressing like somebody who was a baby boomer. You know? He's not dressing like someone whose fashion got dictated 10, 20 years previously. You're saying he's smart enough to dress like a currently middle-aged person. He's not smart enough to dress like a current middle-aged person. He's dressed like... At the height of the oh, fashion right. of nineteen, like look at what Diane Weist is wearing, and she's got like like the long skirt, and she's got like the sweater. She's dressed like someone who actually was twenty years old in the sixties, uh huh, and someone who is not keeping up with the times because she's thirty eight. So how is he dressed? I'm trying to He's picture dressed his outfits in like a Don Johnson sports coat with yeah. shoulder pads, sleeves. Pushed up. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm remembering that. Okay, I might remember the 80s a little better than you. Yes, that was like you do. That was like the thing at the time. Uh-huh. He's wearing the thing rather than wearing what someone his own age Might have would, stuck with. Would have stuck with. Because to him, it's all, like if it was up to him, he'd be wearing a straw hat and knickerbockers. <laughs> so it's all a disguise to him. He is a fan him. of the fashion. I think he's, he's just keeping up. I'm with it. I'm hip. And even when he goes out to dinner, she wears, like, a nice outfit. Yeah. He wears, like, this shirt with, like, neon lines slicing yes. through it. And his his house, the decorations inside are it's very like, of the moment. It's very of the moment. It's not, like, full of antiques. It's like he's trying too hard. Too hard. I could have gotten you on board so much sooner if I had just said too hard. <laughs> Max is trying too hard to look current. Yes. And, like, like if he was around today... Or let's say, okay, let's say I'm the same age as Max. But what if, I don't even know what the kids are wearing. What are the kids wearing? If I was, oh, cat, what would you think if I wore skinny jeans? <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You'd think, it's a really good point. Marshall, you're just trying to fit in with this decade, aren't you? I would just trying to fit in with a decade. But for the moments we get, the one I think the one scene we get inside Max's home, but for that, I would have said, interesting theory, Marshall. That's very astute, and I, I love your interpretation. However, I think that's what puts me Max's over the edge of saying, I think it's fact. I think you're picking up on something that was art department slash costuming, very purposeful, like- but that I've never heard mentioned before. Yeah, and I think I've blown the lid off of this one. Yes. 
It starts out with a lot of interesting stuff in it, like a love affair between mm -hmm. Diane Wiest, who plays the mother of those boys, and Edward Herman, who's a local businessman with a mysterious background. But then the ending of the film is simply action and special effects. The human relationships are all ignored. If you're going to make a convincing, realistic vampire movie, you shouldn't just go for the gore and the last reel, I don't think. For me, the ending of this movie, and I'm Which, not sure way, I'm how totally I feel. I'm totally on board with the ending. Yeah. But mostly because I was the same age as the Frog Brothers, or a little younger. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we've had uh, kissy, kissy, vampire, sexy time. Let's get to some ass kicking. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I had never seen this film, and I watched it today, I'm not sure how I'd feel about it. But for me, the ending was so satisfying. The movie's just a fun romp. What more do you need, I guess? I mean, I showed it to Chris, my roommate. He'd never seen yes, it. Yes. He, he, he reacted loved well. it. He great. thought it was great. He thought it was so much fun. Um, he laughed at all the right things. It sat very well with him. I will say this. It's been so long since I saw the movie for the first time. I don't even remember not knowing that Max was the guy. But my roommate got very agitated, uh, got very uncomfortable and like, what? No. When the moment at the end when Grandpa's walking back towards the fridge. Do you want to talk about the ending now? Because um, it's great. I see no reason not to. And plus, besides, you know what? Even if you didn't like the last third of the film where they've got squirt guns full of holy water and they're batting down the hatches. I don't know why you wouldn't love that, but. Yeah. Especially the score at that please. The preparation oh, music. Yeah, yeah. All of this movie's just perfect. But even if, if that part of the ending didn't grab you, the last 30 seconds of the film is as good as any film ending yeah. ever. It's one of the it's one of the great film endings. My roommate was seriously on the edge of his seat, like ready to punch a hole in the wall out of like pure anticipation and excitement. And because o he thought like, grandpa was the head vampire. I he thought never thought gonna, grandpa was I head never vampire, thought that but either. People did, apparently. They did. Yeah. We have to kill the boy! How'd you know he's a vampire? He's a vampire? Ah! Just so we can like lose our minds. Yeah. To describe the ending, which is, okay, the head vampire has been killed by Grandpa running his Jeep. Somehow he knew through the to living room. Yeah, yeah. crash into the house. Whatever, we forgive it. Okay, that's a bit of a jump in logic. Sure. But then, okay, his home is wrecked. Yeah. Because there was just a vampire battle there. Diane Weist is trying to sort of get his attention. Dad? Yeah, Dad? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He goes to the fridge, opens it up. Now everyone's just lit by the light of the refrigerator. He and they're gets all covered out, in dirt and vampire soot mess. And gore. Yeah. He pulls out one of his root beers. And his back is turned. He finally turns it. around, yeah. takes a drink. And just says, one of the things about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. And these guys who just went through hell craziness he shuts the refrigerator now, door they think they've seen it all they in the last few hours of their life have seen people blow up have seen like a guy melt in a bathtub they've seen vampires flying, flying through the air their living room just blew up but what makes their jaw drop the fact that grandpa knew about vampires the whole time and at the as an audience we're all just like <laughs> and, and the main characters, the Emerson family, they're just going, gape, Yeah, they're gape mouth. And then literally. slowly to the opening tunes of a cover of People Are Strange, the fridge just goes, and with it, the light from the fridge just blacks them all out. End Boom, of film. Dun, 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 people are strange. The end. And you're just left to go, get out of town. 
when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted Streets are uneven when you're down, when you're strained I'd like to speak some more about Diane Weist and the character of Lucy. I could talk to you forever about her. Well, here's the thing. The kids are in a vampire movie. The teenagers are in a vampire movie. Max, you know, he's saying one thing, but can sort of suss out the vampire translation. Well, you're the man of the house, and I'm not coming in until you invite me. You're invited. Thanks very much. No, you're watching the second time, you can see his wheels turning. When he tells the Lost Boys to get out of the store, there's a lot more there. And you can see when he says, you have a generous nature. And you realize after watching it 20,000 times, you're like, wow. At that moment, he's going, huh, interesting. Exactly. So he's in a vampire movie. And you can take it one of two ways, but he's at least playing that second way. Oh, hi. I didn't hear you come in. Is it all right for the guests to see the food before dinner? Oh, no. You're thinking of the groom not seeing the bride before the wedding. Oh, yeah. I always get those confused. (laughs) Diane Weist, as Lucy, <laughs> is not in a vampire movie. Nope. Until the last four minutes of the movie does she realize, what? There's a vampire? Yep. Okay, this means vampires are real. I've been dating a vampire. My, my son, son's about to die. My son's about oh, to die. I have to submit to this vampire and become a vampire I just to found save out there my was son's vampires life. Yeah. Like five seconds ago. She used to go through a lot. And the house is a wreck. And, and acting, she's got to not just go... So up until then, as many vampire things are going on around her, you can say that Jason Patrick slowly turning into a vampire is like a metaphor for puberty and change at that age and fine and good. But she's just in an alienated son divorcee movie. That's right. She's basically in the movie An Unmarried Woman, while everyone else is in a vampire film. Every Everyone else. They're sharpening steaks and getting holy water. And she's in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. <laughs> and in all of her reactions. Are we, are we friends her... or aren't we? You know? Yeah. You can talk to me. Oh, I wouldn't understand. Mm. Yeah. She's like, oh, this is my teenage son. He's a teenager. He's telling me that he can't talk to me about something because I wouldn't understand. Like, what parent hasn't been through this? And sure, he's talking about vampires and she's in an after school special. <laughs> and when I say that, oh, she's acting in a different movie, that doesn't make her bad. That makes her great she's great it brings such heart and realness and everything to this movie and to her credit to know that off stage everyone else is getting fit for prosthetics and fangs and she's got to play it straight as a recently divorced mom trying to keep her kids from you know getting into trouble yeah really uh, yeah while moving forward with her own life and her dignity and, and all that stuff in the middle of a movie that has Death by stereo. Yeah. And you miss, sucker. And we thrashed the one that looked like Twisted Sister. Exactly. Why are people that into that saxophone player? Uh-huh. Like, all right, which, man, if some people just have vague HBO memories of the Lost Boys, 
one thing that always sticks is the guy singing I Still Believe, jacked and greased, wearing chainmail, playing a saxophone, and the crowd is loving it. You mean Tim Capello? I do. He toured with Tina Turner as her sax player and apparently had quite a reputation, or has had over the years, quite a reputation for the kind of work that we saw him do in The Lost Boys. <clears throat> I shall quote his Wikipedia page. Oh, please. He is known for his muscular physique. He, he, would, uh, he would do like push-ups in between takes. His sexually provocative movements during his performances and for his tendency to perform shirtless with his skin oiled and with his hair in a ponytail. So apparently... We were just seeing part of a really highly perfected act. As a kid, I probably saw The Lost Boys really, really young. Like, it's just much like Halloween. It's been a part of kind of the fabric of my existence Halloween, forever. Halloween, 1978. 78, of course. But even from the youngest age, I remember watching it. I remember my brother and I giggling, just giggling over that character. of sexy mm. when you were growing up and you witnessed this epic like life-changing origin moment that is the lost boys to you okay was jamie gertz like a total obsession does she fall in the pantheon of all the women that you like had crushes on in movies or does she stand out not really oh god she stands out for I, I, me say... as an idol character who i just wanted to be Although, she, when, when I finally um, got to sort of be in her presence doing background work. Yeah. And then a light exploded over my head. Yeah. During a, a crowd scene. Have I told you about this? Yes. Okay, well then. But I don't know if you've told our listeners. Well, uh, a light blew up over my head uh, during a sitcom. And uh, and I was an extra. And they were just like, don't look up. I'm like, I don't want to look up. And then everyone, everyone's looking at me. But my first reaction is, does Jamie Gertz see me? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just looking at her. For so long, she just goes, you all right, buddy? Yeah. And then I realized I was staring and just kind of milking all the attention I could get. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go now. I'm going to get out from under. Like, There were kind of like sparks falling on me. Uh-huh. They didn't hurt, but it was imperative I not look up or else they would have landed right. in my eyes. Right. So. My Jamie Gertz story is very similar to yours. Not in the sense that any of us was in danger, but just in the sweetness factor of Jamie Gertz, which is... She was retrieving her car from my valet service that I was working for at the time. And so she's waiting on her car and she was by herself and she was gracious and wonderful. And I don't remember what exactly I said, but I think I said something to the effect of, I'm so, so sorry to bother you, but I'm such a huge fan of yours. I I just think you're wonderful and I I just love your work. And she said, you know, well, aren't you just the cutest thing? Thank you so much. She was very open and I would have lit myself on fire just i would have just killed myself if she'd been horrible to me i'm your number one fan i've seen a good amount of the cast of the lost boys Uh uh-huh either out with you we saw feldman Um, who by the way i have to mention on the podcast if no one's ever seen Corey feldman in person he doesn't not dress to suggest michael jackson and he doesn't (sighs) not dress his kid just like michael jackson I'm not exaggerating it. The yeah. kid was wearing like a red leather jacket and like black pants and Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. He, he hasn't he hasn't lost uh, He hasn't lost that, that part of himself. No. 
You're crazy. Did you know that? No, I'm also uh, cute too. I love Corey Feldman, but I mean, wow. Yeah. Anyway. It's it's, it's nice when people uh, look just like you thought they would. Yeah. Who else have you seen? Um, on the Gilmore Girls, I got to see Edward Herman. Sure. Great. I went to a um a Q and A with Alex Winter for uh, Bill and Ted. He's a director now. Yeah. Excellent. As you know, listeners, we lost Corey Ham in 2010. Mm-hmm. Not far from where we're recording, actually. He was at the Oakwood Apartments, a complex known for child actors, which most people kind of caught on to the irony of that, that he ended his life Ugh. surrounded by child actors. And he was a great child actor. It's Incredible. Great. Horror fans, go back and watch Silver Bullet. Oh, and yeah. And if anybody happens to have a heart, go back and watch Lucas. Oh, boy. Man, he was good. Corey Haim is... I mean, just so nuanced and funny. It's crazy how good he is. He was one of the best among them. So good. And lest we forget Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander, who are uh, the Frog Brothers. The other Frog Brothers. And they're so funny. Corey Haim. Never got to see him. Never will now. Yeah. I did last year. Uh, the Oakwood's got some guard shacks on it. You can't just roll up to it and get in. But I was in for a little bit and said, well, while I'm here... I went outside the apartment at the Oakwood where Haim met his uh, his reward, as they say, hmm. in country songs. And, you know, just just beige, just a beige hallway with a, I don't know what I expected. Yeah, I mean, that's almost on. the most disturbing thing is that it, it really is just a place. And you think it's going to be mystical or mythical or something because they were... Because they were larger than life. who mean something, exactly. But really, you know, it's just they meet that end just in a place with like so so carpeting else. yeah it's yeah Corey Hay man this how old were you when you two started 14 and a half sir when we started in the business or as no, a team when you, as a team uh, uh I was 15. 15 yeah how did that happen well funny enough he it was haphazard actually oh well, we auditioned against each other we were competition for uh mouth and goonies and Lucas, so, which I really, got Goonies, right. he got Correct. Lucas, and then uh, I got a call, actually I went in and I did my uh, my reading and they, I got the part and they brought me down to the wardrobe and as I'm getting on my wardrobe they said, it was Joel Schumacher who was the director and he said, oh I'm so excited, we've got this great cast, we've got, you know, Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland and we've got Jamie Gertz and Corey Heyman, and I went, what, what, who, what, it's Corey Feldman actually, it's Feldman, he right, said, Larry, no, 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 Corey Heyman, Corey Heyman, yeah. so, and then I've been stuck with him for the rest uh, of the what-
Cat, how old is The Lost Boys right now? If it came out in 87... It's, it's uh, 27 years old. 27 years Holy old. Holy cow. Right. And by now, I'd say that it's proven itself a classic. Absolutely. You know, at first it was new and it was fun. And then it became kind of kitsch and retro. And now it's even gone past that to really prove in itself to be uh, immortal. It is. At least uh, for a while longer, yeah. I- I'd say. And I can't really speak for uh, younger generations, but uh, I hope they're discovering it. I think they are. I yeah? Think, yeah, I do. I have faith. I agree. And you know what? I'm not going to uh, really worry too much if uh, if the next generation gets the Lost Boys. I got it. And I'll always have it. Yeah. And that's all I need. And... Got anything to plug, Cat? Well, I don't have anything personal to plug, but I do want to take a minute to direct our listeners over to another podcast that I'm really loving. It's brand new. There are three episodes in, but it's called Welcome to Deadcast, and it's co-hosted by Matthew Scott Montgomery and Daniel Montgomery, who are both listeners of Boys and Ghouls. They're covering all of the Goosebumps novels, and for every novel... In order. In order. So they started with Welcome to Dead House, and because that one had a corresponding TV episode, they covered both in that episode. So for every single book that has a TV episode, they're covering that as well in conjunction. But they're going through all of them. They're fun. They know the books better than anyone in the world, and they're going through them in order. They really do. And so if you're a fan, if you like me, if you grew up reading Goosebumps and love R.L. Stein and want to hear two really funny people go down memory lane with you, but in a really funny way, you can't do any better than Welcome to Deadcast. They're on Podbean just like Boys and Ghouls is. So and you can find um, them on iTunes. You can find them on iTunes. It's Welcome to Deadcast. They're not on any other social media channels right now. I think what they're focusing on is getting the content out. So welcome to deadcast.podbean.com and you can find them on iTunes and you should subscribe and rate them. And I'm not just saying this because they're my friends. Like it's, it's really funny. All right. Also, Kat and listeners, there's been a few Boys and Ghouls episodes that have been uh, taken off, mostly because I didn't want to uh, pay for like the premium package. Yeah. When, when I first started this podcast, but I have since upgraded. So it's time to start uh, bringing out Boys and Ghouls classic episodes. Oh, boy. So we'll be starting on the first of the month. Whenever a classic episode comes out, it'll be on the first of the month. So there's a nice space I'm between. chomping at the bit. It. <laughs> <laughs> and our, our podcast proper. The first one will be September 1st. I'm going to bring back our Hack to School episode. Oh, that's an appropriate time. So between now and when our next new episode comes out, 13th of every month. We'll be dropping a classic episode just in time for Back to School, which is our Hack to School episode, where we we talk about horror movies set in schools. It's one of my favorite episodes of Boys and Ghouls. It really is. Hack to School is a great episode. It's a good episode. And uh, as I had to take it off, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, well, don't want to pay for the bandwidth. (laughs) Yeah. But now I do. (laughs) Because we got a lot of listeners. At the time, we were sort of like right on the edge. Yeah. We had a lot that of was, That was only but, a few episodes in. And this one's, what, 29? This is episode 29 that we're, we're recording right, right now. now. So between now and episode 30, I look forward to episode, what was that, like seven or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah for our classic uh, Hack to School <laughs> episode, Yay! which was a really fun one. And uh, if you like what we talked about, or if you have any suggestions, you can reach us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. 
Please follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. If you're hanging around Tumblr or Pinterest or Instagram, you can find us there. And Twitter. And Twitter. We're all over the place. But not in a place that will cost you a thin dime. (laughs) Yeah, you get us for free. Right? Uh, Enjoy us, people. And until next time, Kat. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.